0: chapter 16. And the reason I say tonight the word is for you is because this isn't like Pastor Keenan just got done with, with one of my favorite series we've ever done, Outside, where we're talking about reaching outside the walls of the church, being in the hands and feet of Jesus, and reaching people, and bringing them in, and being a bridge, reaching outside. I love that kind of stuff. That's my bread and butter. That's where I live. I'm an evangelist at heart. That's how I love to live my faith out loud. That's not tonight. Tonight, the topic of our word, what I'm, what I'm preaching on tonight, is called stewardship. Someone say stewardship. 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 Stewardship is an individual principle that is applied to every disciple of Jesus Christ. Stewardship is not a grand, massive, all-encompassing one. Stewardship is very specific, and it is specific to your life. It applies to you, and it applies to every single part of you. It applies to every aspect of your life. Now stewardship has been taken out of context in a lot of ways and a lot of pastors and a lot of churches have gotten really good at preaching on stewardship as it pertains and applies solely to your finances. And that is a part of stewardship, but stewardship is a principle of scripture that when applied to every part of your life brings with it an incredible amount of blessing and trust from the Lord because when you steward well, you are trusted with more. Now, you gotta talk to me tonight. You gotta talk to me tonight. You guys with me? You tracking? We awake? I got a lot of head nods still. Okay, we're gonna get you talking eventually, Josh. It's gonna happen. One another. You're gonna shout me out, man. I promise you that. Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. Whoever can be trusted with very little, someone say "very very little. Whoever can be trusted with very little. Can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? You know what true riches are? Kingdom of Heaven. You know what true riches are, people? You know what true riches are? Your marriage. You know what true riches are, your children. You know what true riches are when God trusts you with things that are outside of, outside of your realm of ability, but God says, because you've been faithful with the little, I'm gonna trust you with true riches. Amen. God, I need more money. How have you been with the little you got? You want true riches? I want some more. God goes, prove to me you can handle the little you have. True riches. And if you have been trustworthy, And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I just got done talking about a mansion in heaven. That's property of my own, but I don't own it yet. I haven't gotten there. I'm still expected to be a faithful steward of what I've been given on this earth so that when I get to heaven, God can trust me with my own property. Someone say, Stuart Little. Now... Quite honestly, I didn't come up with this title. I'm not going to tell you who did, but he's the other pastor. Stuart Little. If you can handle it over here, the one talent, and you can handle it here, the three talent, the God will trust you over here with the five talent. Do you understand tonight I want to talk to you about your stewardship, Limitless is in the business of creating disciples, and stewardship is a core principle to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have to get this discipleship thing down, and you have to have stewardship down if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The definition of a steward is a person who manages another's property or financial affairs. It is a person who has charge of the household of another. So, if you're taking notes, the definition of a steward is someone who has charge of the household of another. Whose house is this? Uh, Four of you figured that one out. Let's try it again. Whose house is this? It's God's house. And who's been put in charge of stewarding this house? Our pastor. Pastor Keenan is a living example of what it means to steward something that doesn't belong to you. He has been put in charge of God's house as it pertains to Limitless Church in Woodland, California. So often we think of stewardship solely as a financial matter. But stewardship applies to so much more of your life. We're to steward our relationship with God. We're to steward our marriages, our children, our jobs, our opportunities, our time, and yes, our money. You know how you steward a relationship with God? I'm going to touch on this one just for a minute. It's important that we steward a relationship with God. You know how God stewarded his relationship with you? He started by giving. And not just giving something, he started by giving everything. He gave his very best. God said, I want a relationship with you, but sin entered the world and it separated me from you. And so in order for you and I to have a relationship, I have to close that gap. And I want to handle that relationship with you in such a way that I'm going to give my very best to close that gap, to pay the price for your sin, so you and I can be in relationship. God stewarded our relationship by giving his very best. And so how do you steward your relationship with God? Do you give God back your very best or do you give God the leftovers? Thanksgiving's coming up. I'm talking about food right now. Do you give your very best at Thanksgiving dinner or do you eat it and then give the leftovers to your guests when they show up? How do you steward what you have? A relationship with God is like every other relationship. You have to take care of it. You have to manage it. You have to steward it. You have to water it. You have to feed it. You have to talk to the man. I haven't heard from God in a while. I'm sure he's saying the same thing about you. There are a few things tonight I want to talk about, three things specifically as it pertains to the principles of stewardship and what it means to be a good steward. I'm going to pray real quick. I feel something. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name right now that whatever is going on in this room break. In Jesus' name, your spirit be in this place, God, that you speak through your word. Your word is anointed already. It doesn't need to be my word. It's your word. So in the name of Jesus, I pray that whatever distractions going on, whatever feelings are happening, Lord God, that you will break that right now in Jesus' name and that your presence would be in this room and you would speak. Amen. You with me? Number one, you're taking notes. I know everybody in here is taking notes because you're faithful stewards. Stewardship requires faithfulness. Stewardship requires faithfulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 through 2 says, "So then let us who minister, disciples, be regarded as servants of Christ and stewards, or trustees and administrators, of the mysteries of God that he chooses to reveal. In this case, moreover, is required at, as essential and demanded of stewards that one be found faithful and trustworthy. One of the greatest examples, you know why you like that? Because that was the Amplified Version. That's why you like that right there. Yeah, yeah I, read, I read Pastor Kenan's version right there. One of the greatest examples of faithfulness, of faithful stewardship that we find in Scripture is this man called Noah. Anyone ever heard of Noah before? Raise your hand if you heard of Noah. Raise your hand. I want to see it. Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, if you never heard of Noah, in a nutshell, he built the biggest boat in the history of the world. That was way bigger than the Titanic, and it did not hit an iceberg and die. Noah's boat lasted for 40 days and 40 nights on the ocean. He saved all of humanity and all the animals that we still have to this day. Maybe there are some in there. I don't know. I'm not a theologian. But Noah built a boat. But Noah is one of the greatest examples of faithful stewardship that you will ever find in Scripture. The man faithfully served God. And lived his life in such a manner of righteousness and obedience that when the rest of the world was proactively trying to find ways to live in in opposition to God, Noah was found in such a way with the Lord that he had a relationship and he was living in right standing. Noah stewarded his relationship with God in such a time that the rest of the world was living in such debauchery and sin and perversion and sexual sin and violence that the only one on all the earth that God could find that was living in righteousness was Noah. So, what does God do? God comes to Noah and says, Noah, I'm sick of this. I can't handle it anymore. I'm sad that I made people this way. I'm sad that this is what's going on. I'm disappointed in it, so I'm going to destroy all of it. But in order to save you, I need you to build a boat. And Noah, I need you to build a boat. It has to be this long. I need you to use this material. You have to use this kind of wood. And after you've built that boat, I need you to get every single living creature Everything that slithers on the ground that flies in the air and walks on its feet. I need you to get two of every single kind, and I need you to get it into the boat. And once you've done that, you've got to get the food to take care of it. You've got to get all the stuff put together. You've got to build it in such a way that it can hold everything that I'm telling you. And Noah, you have to do it right. You guys know how long it took Noah to build the ark? It took him over 75 years to build the ark. Now, Noah was about 500 years old, right? He was about 500 years old when he got the assignment to build the ark, which means he was 575 when the project was complete. Noah was given an assignment by God, and he faithfully stewarded it until he saw it to its completion. He gave him specific instructions, very clear number of what he needed to do, and how to provide for them. Can I say something else about Noah? It doesn't say in scripture that after Noah got the word from God, that he went back to God and said, God, I just need you to confirm in me. Lord, just confirm it. Father, send a word. Send a word. Send a raven. God, send any. God, if you just send Brother Johnson over to me in the middle of service, that he would just speak to God, that Sister Bonnie would come pray and just confirm. God, just send me a word. And God, once you send me that word, I'll do it. No, Noah heard from God and then walked it out faithfully for 75 years without second-guessing a single instruction from the Lord. I can't say that I've done that. I can't say that when God tells me what to do that I am faithful to it until the end of that. I honestly, last Friday night I was in prayer and the Lord gave me a word and it was the same word he had given me six months prior. But because God is faithful to me, he gave me the word. But what needs to happen is we need to get the word from the Lord and be a faithful steward of it until its completion. You know that there's no time limit on stewardship? There's no time limit on stewardship. There's no amount of time that your stewardship runs and then it stops and then you're done with your, no, no, stewardship is from the day that you receive the opportunity from God until the day that you die. See, Noah's stewardship didn't end when the ark landed and the water subsided and the animals got off the boat. That's not where the stewardship ended. The stewardship ended the day he died because he still had to make sure his family was getting off the boat. He still had to make sure that he reproduced, multiplied, and took care of the earth. He had to make sure that the animals got where they had to go. Noah's life was stewardship. Noah understood what was written in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Noah is a great example of somebody who was a faithful steward, but King Saul was an example of somebody who was not a faithful steward. See, the life of King Saul was, was amazing. King Saul was the first king in the history of Israel because Israel had never had a king before Saul. The people of Israel said, we want a king so we can be like all the other people around us. We want to be just like everybody else. Can I tell you something? When, you're, when you are the children of God, you're not supposed to be like everybody else around you. And God said, I'm your king. I will lead you. And they said, no, we want a king. And God goes, okay, you want it? I'll give it to you. And so he finds Saul, and Saul looked the part, he sounded the part, he smelled the part, he talked the part. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was handsome, and he was big. And he looked just like you thought a king should look. And the Lord anointed Saul, and the Lord said, you are going to be the king of Israel, and your house will sit in this throne until the end of days. But Saul wasn't a good steward of his anointing. Saul went to war. And the word of the Lord came to Saul as he went to the war. And the word of the Lord was, you are to kill everything. You don't spare anything. You kill all of it. But what did Saul do? He spared the king of the opposing nation. He spared the best camels, the best cows, the best lambs, the best rams. And he kept them for himself. And the prophet Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? Saul goes, I was just trying to save it so that I can make a really good sacrifice to God. And Samuel goes, what does the Lord require? A sacrifice or obedience? What does God want more? A sacrifice or does he want your obedience? And Saul goes, I just thought God would really like my sacrifice. And Samuel goes, what God really wanted was your faithful obedience. And so because you were Unfaithful, And because you didn't steward the opportunity that God had given you today, your house has the anointing lifted off of it. And it has been put on another who is a man after God's own heart. Can I tell you something about people who are unfaithful stewards? You forfeit the anointing that God has given you to do the task he has called you to do when you are unfaithful. You forfeit the anointing. Can I tell you that when you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, there's a special anointing that rests on your life for you to be able to do what God has called you to do with your life. But the moment that you and I refuse to be faithful in our stewardship is a moment that we forfeit that anointing and it goes to something else. Two years ago, I was sitting in the office of my pastor. His name's Abe Daniel in Sacramento. And at this time in my life, I had a lot of bitterness And a lot of anger built up inside of me. And Pastor Abe was talking to me about King Saul. He didn't know what was going on inside of me. Pastor Abe had no idea what was battling inside of me. There were days that I would wake up and I felt sick to my stomach from the bitterness and the anger that was being held up inside of me. And Pastor Abe starts talking to me about King Saul and a leadership lesson. He's taking his staff through about Saul and about how Saul was disobedient to the Lord. And and he wasn't an obedient, faithful servant. So God lifted the anointing off of Saul and put it on another. And Samuel in the Bible literally says, your sons will never inherit the throne that God intended for them to have because of your disobedience. And that moment, the Spirit of God hit me square upside my head and said, your sons will never get to walk in the anointing that I intend for them if you don't let go of this bitterness you're carrying around in your heart. And I broke sitting in his office, and I started to weep, and I prayed, Father, forgive me for my bitterness. Don't make my sons pay for my sins. The anointing that has been put on your life is special for you. You have been given it specifically for the task that God has asked you to steward. And when we are not faithful stewards of that task, that anointing is lifted off of us and placed somewhere else who will be a faithful steward of it. You guys with me? This feels a little heavy. Are we okay with that tonight? Number two, you're taking notes. Number two, stewardship requires a proper perspective. Stewardship requires proper perspective. The question I have for you on this is, do you see what you have as something that God has given you to steward, or do you see it as something that belongs to you? Do you see what you've been given as something that God has said, steward this faithfully, or do you see what you've been given as something that belongs to you? Can I tell you something? That statement that is self-made, I am self-made, I see people with it tattooed on them, self-made, there is no such thing as self-made. You have been given everything you have and entrusted everything you have, whether you believe in the Lord or not, you have been given what you have by the Lord. What you have belongs to God, not you. You can't steward your possessions and your stuff. You understand that? You can't steward your possessions. You steward somebody else's possessions. Stewardship begins with a proper perspective of what you have. Go like this. Go like this. It's going to be really fun. People are like, oh, my God, I have to do something right now. (laughs) You're stewarding an opportunity right now. I'm just throwing that out there. Steward. (laughs) Stewarding your hands. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Go like this. This is stewardship. This is stewardship. If your hands are open, God can put something in your hands. When you say, God, it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. This is yours. Whatever this is, it's yours. And I'm going to steward this opportunity. I'm going to steward this relationship. I'm going to steward this finance. I'm going to steward this job. Then you hold it like this because it's God's. And you can do with it what God needs you to do with it with your hands like this. But the moment you close that fist and you say it's mine, nothing else can be put in those hands. There is nowhere for God to put something in your hands right now. God gives you something and you go, it's mine. And God goes, you don't understand. I have more. Seek me first in my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. The problem with some of us, I'm getting ahead of myself on my notes. The problem with some of us is that we seek the as wells, and we go, mine. Mine. And we have neglected the kingdom and his righteousness. And God says, if you'll put me first, my kingdom, and my righteousness, then all these things that you claim you want, the the desires of your heart, I will give you those things as well. But the moment you start to pursue the as-wells and you make possessions paramount, you forfeit the kingdom and righteousness. Stewards live their life like this. You can't live like this. Pastor Keenan says it best. I hold uh, p- People that come to our church, I hold them like this. They're not mine. They belong to the Lord. If you come to this church, it is our job to faithfully steward and build you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're not trying to build faithful attenders of limitless. We're trying to build people who will follow Jesus. What you have belongs to God, not you you got to live with your hands open so God can give you what needs. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about two kinds of servants. He says you have a wicked servant, a wicked and lazy servant, and you have a faithful servant. Good and faithful servants are good stewards of everything that God gives them. Wicked and lazy servants don't see the things that God gives them as opportunities to steward. They see them as possessions that they are owed. Okay, I'm going to say that again because that was really good. Leron, that was good. I'm going to say it again. He's pointing me out right now. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to read that. I'm going to read it to you right now, Laron. <laughs> good and faithful servants are good stewards of everything that God gives them. But wicked and lazy servants, they don't see the things that God gives them as opportunities to steward. They see them as possessions that they're owed. Oh, God, you owe me. Thank you. I'm going to take this one to the bank. Mm-mm. That's a wicked and lazy servant. Good and faithful servants see every blessing as an opportunity to steward. It is something that builds God's kingdom. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. See, people who have a stewardship mentality are always looking to build the kingdom of God first. First. They see what they have as a resource to multiply and to build the kingdom where they're at. You can't ask God to give you more when what you think you have belongs to you. In order for God to give you more, you have to first understand that what you have doesn't belong to you. God give me more means that what I have is already yours, but I want more of it. And God says, you want more of what I have? You need to be faithful with what I've already given you. Stewards are multipliers. Write that down in your notes. Stewards are multipliers. They don't just maintain, they're active in building and growing what they have been entrusted with so it will multiply. Growth is a byproduct of effective stewardship. Growth is a byproduct of effective stewardship. I feel like this is a tough one tonight for some people. I'm not getting a whole lot of shout downs and amens. Am I hitting people? Is one of those. Some of y'all are just glazed over. Like this is a lot. He he talked about money at the beginning. I lost it. I'm out of here. I can't handle this stuff. Go ahead, man. Go for it. Go for it. Start making me sound good. Can I just issue a quick warning? Let's not stand like that. It sounds bad. Can I say something to you with a smile on my face? goes down a little easier when the pastor smiles when he says it. Be careful when you ask God for more because he will always expect a multiplied return. Be careful when you ask God for more. I'll say it with a different tone. Because he will always expect a multiplied return. So in other words, if you're lazy and you don't want to work for it, don't ask God for more. Because what he gives you, he will expect you to multiply and give back to him 2, four, five, 10, 15 fold what he originally gave you. So, make sure that when you go to the Father and say, Father, I have been faithful with the little you've given me. I am ready for more. God's going to go, Here's more. I expect it back in return. Multiplied, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Because that's how God works. God doesn't work in addition, God works in multiplication. So, if God's going to give you more, you better make sure that you can multiply it and then give it back to Him. Be very careful when you go to the Father asking for more because he will ask for more in return. See, when you're not a good steward, you see God's blessings as prizes for good behavior. Your attitude is more about what you get rather than what you can give. You see people as expendable and possessions as paramount. Just real quick. Just real quick, check your heart. Just look at yourself. Am I a good steward or am I a wicked and lazy servant? Which one am I? Because when you are a wicked and lazy servant, you see the things that God gives you as prizes for your good behavior. And you see people as expendable and possessions as paramount. The most valuable thing on this earth is people. The only thing you and I can ever take with us into our eternity is people. I love my truck, but praise God that truck is going to burn one day. I love my motorcycle. Praise God that Harley Davidson is going to burn. It ain't going to be in heaven with me. I ain't to worry about changing that oil ever again. Hallelujah. And my wife is clapping her hands. You don't got to do that. You ain't got to do that. You don't got to do that. You amen at the wrong moment there, sweetheart. Some of us want the responsibility and trust that comes along with stewardship, but we don't want the accountability. We want God to trust us with big opportunities, but only if they fit in our schedule and are convenient with our time frame. We expect God to bless the gift that he's given us, but only when we want to use that gift. A godly steward doesn't tell God when they want to use the gift he gave them. A godly steward is always about their master's business, ready in season and out of season, making sure that they're prepared for the master when he returns. And can I tell you, he is going to return to settle accounts with you one day. And when he comes back, your busy schedule and your lack of spiritual investment in your own life is not a valid excuse as to why you are not a faithful steward with the gift that he gave you. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to settle accounts. And when you stand before the Father and he says, what did you do with the gift I gave you? Your busy schedule and your lack of spiritual investment in your own life is not going to be a good reason. We know the parable of the talents. The man who he gave five came back with ten. The man who he gave three came back with six or two came back with four, right? Two came back with four. But the one who he gave one to, he buried it. I heard an interesting, interesting point on this recently. The man, the wicked and lazy servant, buried his talent because he didn't think the master was coming back. And if the master never came back, then he was the only one who knew where it was buried. And he was the only one who could ever get it. And so if the master never came back to settle that account, he was going to be all right because he had his little nest egg set over here in the corner. Like I can tell you right now, Jesus is coming back and he's going to settle accounts. And some of us sit in this church every single week. Where's our team limitless card? Give me a team limitless card. Some of us sit in this church every single week. I'm going to come at you. I'm going to step on your toes right now. Put them away or I'm going to step on them. Some of us sit in this church every single week, and we hear our pastor talk about joining Team Limitless, and we do this. Mm -mm. I hope I'm talking to somebody. I don't want to join Team Limitless because I don't want to give my time. I, don't like, I just want to be there from 6.30 to 8 and then go home. I'm done. I don't want to join Team Limitless. You know what? You have a talent that you're holding on to and you're burying it. And one day the master is going to come back and he's going to ask you what you did with it. And you're going to say, I just like being at home for an extra hour. I just would rather be at home on Saturday for that extra hour. But God, I came to church. But what did you do with the gift I gave you? You don't understand, God. I came to church. I tithed. Yeah, but what did you do with the gift that I gave you? But God, I I was there and like I like I prayed and stuff. What'd you do with the gift I gave you? I buried it. You buried my gift. You weren't a good steward of my gift. So because you weren't a good steward of my gift, I'm gonna take what you have, I'm gonna give it to the person who was faithful. a good steward of your gift, I'm not begging you, I'm challenging you. Quit being a wicked and lazy servant. Be a good and faithful servant. Steward the gift that God has given you. The last thing, number three, and then I'm done. Stewardship requires humility. Stewardship requires humility because you aren't serving yourself. You're being obedient with God's resources. Stewardship done right will never promote you. It will always exalt Jesus and build his kingdom. That means it doesn't matter how big or small the assignment, the opportunity, the responsibility, or the position. A good and faithful servant will see everything that God gives them as significant and never beneath them. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When you are like Jesus and you see yourself as a faithful steward, you are humble enough to know there is nothing that's beneath me because my King came to serve, not be served, and he gave his life. And so if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to serve. I'm going to humble myself and serve. There is nothing that was beneath Jesus. Wrapped a towel around his waist, got on his knees, and washed 12 dudes' feet. That's nasty. But but he did it. He served and gave his life. You've heard the statement, humility isn't thinking less of yourself thinking of yourself less. If we believe James 4, 6, it says, he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, then we have to understand that stewardship requires humility in order for the favor of God to be on us while we are serving. If we don't carry with us a spirit of humility when stewarding and multiplying God's resources in his kingdom, then we may begin to believe that it's our talent and our ability that has brought the success Rather than seeing it's the favor of God that's allowed it to grow. Success without humility becomes a breeding ground for pride. Ask me how I know. I've lived it. Success without humility becomes a breeding ground for pride. And pride comes before your fall. Again, ask me how I know. I lived it. Those who faithfully steward God's resources, opportunities, relationships, and assignments must remember that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Write this down. Humble stewards produce fruit that will last, but those who lack humility produce fruit. It just doesn't carry eternal value. Those who walk walk in humility and faithfully steward, they will produce fruit that will last, but people who do not have humility still produce fruit. It just carries with it no eternal value. Those who lack humility produce fruit, but it will not carry with it eternal value. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 44. Stand with me, church. This is why I'm going to close our message out. Stand with me. If you have your Bibles with you, go to Matthew chapter 26. Verse 36 through 44, this is the greatest example of humility that I could find in all of Scripture. Humbly submitting yourself to the will of the Father, stewarding the opportunity that has been put in front of you, and humbly accepting whatever that is that God wanted to do. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 44, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and I pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for even an hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, or if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then he came back. He again found them asleep. These guys were tired. Because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same exact thing. I started at the beginning of the message by telling you that God stewarded a relationship with us. And he stewarded that relationship by sending his son to pay the price for our sin. Sin requires a price to be paid, and the price for that sin is death. That's just the price for sin. And so that you don't have to pay the price for your sin, and I don't have to pay the price for my sin. God sent his son to pay that price for both of us. Whether you ask for it or not, he did it because he loves you. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying right before he's betrayed. He knows what's about to happen. He knows what Roman culture is. He knows what it means to be crucified. He knows what it means to be beat. He knows what's coming. And he goes to God and says, God, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be crucified, God. But if this is the only way for your will to be accomplished, then I'll do what you want. See, Jesus was given the responsibility of the rescue of humanity, and he stewarded that opportunity perfectly. He was faithful to it. He had the proper perspective, and he humbled himself in the ninth hour and submitted to the will of the Father. And because Jesus stewarded the opportunity right, humanity has a hope for salvation. tonight I want to ask you, how have you stewarded your life? How are you stewarding your life? How are you taking care of the things that God has given you? The time you have. The breath that's in your lungs. What do you use your life for? Are you stewarding it well or are you wasting it? Because the life you live, Jesus gave his for. What are you doing with yours?